Hi, I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. And we're the hosts of Nurse Talk Radio. Please join us for this special edition podcast. Some doctors in California felt uncomfortable last year when a new law began allowing terminally ill patients to request lethal medicines, saying their careers had been dedicated to saving lives, not ending them. Many healthcare systems design protocols for screening people who say they're interested in physician-assisted death, including some that meant to dissuade patients from taking up the option. But physicians across the state say the conversation that health workers are having with patients are leading to patients' fears and needs around dying being addressed better than ever before. They say the law has improved medical care for sick patients, even those who don't take advantage of it. California last year became the fifth state to allow people with terminal illnesses to request pills from their doctors to end their lives. In the first six months the law was in effect, 111 terminally ill patients ended their lives that way, state officials said. We're talking about medical aid in dying, which has been practiced in six states for a combined 40 years, and within those states, not a single case of abuse or coercion, nor any criminal or disciplinary charges have been led, not one. With us today is Matt Whitaker, California State Director of Compassion and Choices, the organization that's leading the state in national campaigns to pass the End of Life Option Act. Matt, welcome back to Nurse Talk, and thanks so much for being with us. Ah, it's so good to be back. So, Matt, you were here last year right after the California End of Life Act became law. So talk about what's happened since that time. Sure. Well, it's been a a whirlwind uh, of a year with health systems and hospices all working to make sure that they are doing everything possible to make sure that their patients are supported through this decision. Uh, You know, physicians and nurses and social workers and chaplains all making sure that they're educated about this new option. And then, you know, the most important thing is that the people who have advocated for this law and have been asking for it in California are now having access to this. So we are hearing stories, you know, daily of people who uh, are in need of this option, are accessing this option, or even just beginning to have the conversations around this option in a more transparent, open, and honest fashion. And so, you know, over the last year, the law has been working as it was intended to be. That's great. We were really curious to see how this played out, and we'd like to hear a little bit more about your mission. So can you tell us about the mission of Compassion and Choices? Sure. So Compassion and Choices is the nation's oldest, largest, uh, most active nonprofit that works to improve care and expand choice at the end of life. And what that means is that we really believe that at the end of life, people should be, you know, the determiners of their own destiny. They should be in the driver's seat, and they should have all the options necessary to make sure that that's the case. And so we do that through a variety of means. We have an education arm that works to do public education, uh, both with presentations and partnering with, with healthcare systems and with community leaders and doing things like this radio show, for example. Uh, we have a support arm where we actually support individuals that are going through that process, both with materials and education that are available on our website, uh, but also with in-person support or over-the-phone support as they need it. And then we have an advocacy arm, which is where we advocate for these laws and, and others across the country that really promote good, person-centered, end-of-life care. And so we work to make sure that that's the case as well. That's so true. So why do you think there's so much angst about the End-of-Life Option Act? Well, you know, I think there's there's angst about the end-of-life in general, right? This yes. Is a, it's a yeah. topic that, for, for many of us, brings about a lot of, a lot of stigma or 
uh, a lot of discomfort because it's not something that we talk about widely in, in the public sphere and, and one that, frankly, our organization and I personally believe should be out there in the open. We should be talking more about death and dying and health care at the end of life. And this option being debated in a public sphere uh, really puts that forward. It's hard to ignore when these conversations are going on. And so I think for many people, there's a little bit of uh, discomfort around that. And there's also discomfort with any new medical practice. You know, change is hard even when it's changed for the positive. And so we've been working through that process a lot with healthcare providers and with members of the general public. I think the amazing thing that we've seen in the last year is that in having those conversations and in having this option be something that's debated publicly, people are really bringing death out of the closet and talking about uh, end-of-life care, individual wishes, and really uh, we're starting to move this conversation forward across the spectrum, not just with this option, but with all the options that exist at the end of life. You know, I work in hospice, and it's it's difficult because still uh, so many of our patients come to us or are referred to us within the last week of life, which doesn't really allow us to do much work with the patients and their families as far as accepting and moving through this process. So I wish that we had that conversation more frequently. Absolutely. Well, and you know, and that's that's the big goal, really, right, is that we're upstreaming these conversations as much as possible. And the amazing thing that I think the End of Life Option Act does, not only does it give those patients who need it this, this option that they need at the end of life, but it also, it's a value statement. It's a statement that says that the state of California believes that people should be in the driver's seat of their own health care uh, all the way up till the end of life. And so, you know, hopefully these conversations begin being pushed more and more upstream, even when people are making early treatment decisions so that they're really having a full picture of what all of their options are and they're understanding fully what each of those pieces means. You know, hospice still has this really unnecessary stigma about it where people think that it's only for people who are in their final days or hours. Yes. When in fact, hospice is this prime example of what medicine could be if it really were a whole person approach to caring for individuals. And it's available for such a long time and, and works best, as you said, when people have that time to process and to build relationships and to really focus on what type of values and goals they have for not how they're going to die, but how they're going to live in their last month. Yes. So um, we certainly are hoping that this conversation continues to move upstream. Well, it seems like a lot of Americans today want to die on their own terms, but a lot of them just have no idea how to accomplish that. So how do you think communication can be improved? You know, I think we have to empower people with information, you know, and we have to empower people with, with seeing this as relevant information and in, in a correct frame. And I think so often people are, are afraid to engage this topic, even as you said, when deep down they know that this is something that they want. They want to be in control at the end of life. They want to make sure that their own personal values are honored. But when those conversations come up, they're, they're ones that people don't really have the information on how to begin. So even doing something as simple as empowering people to talk to their families more about this or talk to their doctors and giving them some tools and some tips on how to go about that in a way that it's not sterile, it's not morbid, but it's really about 
teaching your family and your care team and those that are around you how how to love you in your last days and how to respect your wishes and how to uh, make sure that they care for you in a way that, that is in line with your own values and that they're not going to feel uh, guilt and remorse and regret about afterwards because it's been out there in the open for such a long time. And so, you know, we live in the information age where we're being bombarded with all kinds of different things that are pulling for our attention. But this topic, the end of life, is one that resonates with every single human being. It's a moment that every one of us will encounter. It's something that we all owe uh, ourselves and our families uh, the time necessary to really educate ourselves and to advocate appropriately for ourselves. So I think we just have to continue to push forward this conversation and to continue to share our stories, you know, with openness and vulnerability so that others can learn from the experiences that we've had. I so agree with you, Matt, and let's hope this conversation continues because you're right, every single person here will experience this. And nobody gets away from it. So that's it's been hard for me as a nurse and certainly as a hospice nurse to understand people's reticence to even have the conversation because nobody gets away from it. And it just seems like it's one of those things that you should talk about with your family at the dinner table um, to talk about what it is that's important to you and what it is that it's important at the end. So now let's talk about the amazing resources that Compassion and Choices has on their website. Sure. Well, you know, we always you know, feel that information is power, so we try to get as much information out there as possible for all different scenarios. And so our website, CompassionAndChoices.org, it has frequently asked question sheets, fact sheets about every different option that exists for people who are at the end of life. We have videos where uh, doctors are telling patients how to communicate your needs with your healthcare team, where family members are sharing their perspective, where people are sharing their stories just across the whole spectrum of things. So we have resources upon resources there for uh, everything from advanced care planning to having a conversation about the End of Life Option Act. And something else that we have on our website now that's new since the last time we talked is that we've started a new initiative called Truth and Treatment that really aims to empower patients with the type of questions that they can ask to really get to the root of what type of care they're getting within their healthcare system. So I call it TurboTax for your doctor's visit uh, because you can go on there and answer a few simple questions, and in doing so, it'll give you questions that you should be asking. We have that paired with another tool called a trust card, which is a card that you can design and takes to a new physician or a new care team that you're, you're going to that says things like how you like to receive information, uh, whether there are family members who should be kept in the loop, uh, what your communication style is, all of these things to hopefully build a trusting and effective relationship as quickly as possible because in our fragmented healthcare system, it's really tough to get to that point when you're seeing so many different folks and oftentimes can feel like you're on a conveyor belt and you can't get off and you don't know how you got on. And so we're trying to give as many resources as possible, again, to make sure that people have information, but also real tools that you can take with you and feel like you're able to uh, to get what you need in those moments. You know, I can't say enough about your website, Compassion and Choices, because what I see in um, my community up in Northern California is a, a lack of this information. And also in the medical community, I have a brother who was recently diagnosed with um, stage four pancreatic cancer. 
And I feel that the medical community really did him a great disservice because they never, first, they never talked about his diagnosis openly with him. I had to have that conversation with him. And secondly, then they didn't offer him any, uh, so they offered him options around chemotherapy and radiation. But nobody ever said anything about the option to do to do nothing because really the cancer is so far advanced that the, the treatment options really aren't even going to prolong his life. They're just going to make his life more miserable. And yet that conversation wasn't had. Uh, thank God he happened to have a sister who was is a hospice nurse to have that conversation with him. And I had to have that conversation with the oncologist who was really reticent to talk to him about what was really going on. So I use your website, Compassion and Choices, regularly uh, to because it's one of those sites where people can get information about questions that aren't really answered anywhere else, I find. Absolutely. Well, and it's so great to hear that you're using our website, and that's what it's intended for. And, and you know, the, the story that you shared about your brother is, is not the exception. You know, as you said, it's the norm. Yes. Uh, it's oftentimes people, you know, get on this whole kind of uh, uh, treatment train almost, and there's never a conversation about benefit versus burden and, uh, and what quality of life versus quantity of life might look like with any one of these different treatment options. And you know, while there have been great large initiatives that have thought to kind of change that and shift the, the power dynamic when it comes to healthcare and the people who are being cared for, we really see uh, any change coming about needing to be a patient-led change. And it needs to be that people are feeling empowered and able to ask those questions. And when patients begin doing that and we begin pushing back on this one-size-fits-all kind of care paradigm that's going on, we feel like we can change the culture of healthcare. But uh, we feel like that, that, that the really the way to do that is by external pressure and making sure that people have the tools necessary. So we're giving them those tools and we're encouraging people to do uh, just that. Absolutely. We've been talking with Matt Whitaker about end-of-life care and choice. Matt is the California State Director of Compassion and Choices. Matt, thank you for being with us today, and thank you for your really important work. Uh, Thank you. It's always a pleasure. For more information about this topic, visit CompassionAndChoices.org or NurseTalkSite.com. 